Good morning, this is Coffee with the Sarlos, and I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly, and today we have one of our favorite guests back on the show, um, physiotherapist and pelvic floor specialist, MJ. Welcome. Hello. MJ, do you want to say where you work? Yeah, so I am a pelvic health physio, and I co-own Gateway Physiotherapy here in North Bay. Um, my business partner, Charles uh, Pippin, uh, and I own the clinic, and we've been open for actually close to 20 years now. I know, it's kind of crazy. And, and I've been doing pelvic health for about 20 years as well, which is kind of crazy. It goes by very fast. Well, it does. <laughs> Holy crap, you just really took me by surprise. <laughs> Oh, and you said you've actually been doing 20 years of pelvic health. So, MJ, I know you teach. I do, yes. So can we also just ask you to kind of step forward a little bit and say where you teach and what you teach? So what we, the group that I teach with uh, is out of Ontario, and it's called Pelvic Health Solutions. And they do have a website, so www.pelvichealthsolutions.com. We offer a series of courses for physiotherapists to take to specialize in pelvic health. The good thing with that website, too, it's a great resource to go to to um, have information on all things pelvic health. So there's a section for the general public to access, and there's a section for people who are interested in becoming a pelvic health physiotherapist. And you can also go look up on that website where you can find a pelvic health physiotherapist in your area, which is really great. We have a big listing for Ontario physios, and I know that... um, the, the, the group is trying to expand that listing to all of Canada. Um, I don't think we have anything in the U.S. yet, but I know that I think eventually that's what they want to do. So like almost like a map of where to find. And the good thing with that as well is when you click on a name. So let's say you're in Newmarket, you find a physiotherapist, you don't know who to go see. What we've done with that website is list all the courses those physios have done and also highlight whether or not they treat men and or women. So you can best choose your physiotherapist. So if you're going to see someone for, like let's say incontinence, you can look at the courses they've taken. But if you're going for pelvic pain, let's say, you wanna make sure they've done the courses on pelvic pain. So you can look at all the courses they've done and best choose the person you can go to, which is really great. Well, it's transparency. It is, it is, and also who, not everybody treats men, so we wanted to really highlight that, yep, this physiotherapist will treat both men and women, and I think we're going to also highlight who treats children as well. That I think that's coming up uh, to add more information. That's wonderful. Yeah. And um, like both Kelly and I have clients, as you know, all over North America and also on other continents. So to hear that there's organization to it and some structure to it will really help people find the right person. So can we, we, like, I'd like to first say, too, that if anyone's just listening to you today on this show as their first show, that you've been, a, this is a return engagement for you, and that they can go to your previous show on the website by sarlo.com to listen to you describe what you do and pelvic, uh, pelvic disorders and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that good? Yeah, it's good. Okay. So what we talked about last time was the whole idea that, women and men can both suffer from incontinence, bladder, bowel incontinence, and pain. And we'll talk more about pain today. Um, What we talked about last time was this whole idea that we have a group of muscles that are responsible for pelvic health that we never talk about. 
because it's located in an area that nobody wants to kind of really talk about, right? It's been, it's been a taboo for so long. We don't want to talk about bladder health. We don't want to talk about incontinence. We certainly don't want to talk about bowel incontinence. And then we don't want to talk about pain down that area either, right? I mean, so there's still a lot of social taboos. And what we're trying to break that down as much as possible, these taboos that we have to open up communication and to not make it maybe that much of a big deal, you know, again, so that people realize that it happens, it's common, but it's treatable. Well, I'm thinking when you describe it in the other show, what incontinence is, even the term, um, that quite often when we go to a doctor, we don't know what is wrong. So if you're starting to help people with a vocabulary around it, then they can be better patients when they show up at Emerge or they show up at a doctor's office to say what they feel. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's difficult to discern between when a muscle has a problem versus um, a bone. Some people don't understand all those differences or that in fact, there are muscles in the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Some of us might think it's just bone and fat. That's right. We don't even realize what we have down there, right? Because we don't talk about, we don't teach about the anatomy of that area very well, I don't think, especially when we're thinking back of, you know, the sex ed that we teach in schools, right? It's very kind of superficial. So we don't talk about that part of the body. We don't encourage women to look at that part of their body. And if we think about, this kind of elusive pelvic floor, it's inside your body. So you can't see it from the outside. So if you can't see it, oftentimes you can't feel it. And if you can't feel it, it's very challenging. So what we talked a lot about in that first show was the fact that we have this muscle and it's very important for bladder and bowel control. So if you want me, I can recap a little bit. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles that go from your pubic bone all the way back to your tailbone. And between your sit bones, so if you're sitting really tall on a chair, it's a big muscle. And it's kind of like in the shape of a bowl. So front to back, side to side. And it's inside your body. What it's responsible for is to hold up your organs in their proper position. So that's really important for women. We want our organs to stay inside our body. So it's like a shelf that holds everything up. Both men and women, more of an issue in women because we have we're the ones who have children so we tend to have more problems with um, uh, a condition called prolapse which I can kind of talk about really quickly Um, these muscles tighten to close all of your openings so that you don't lose bladder control or bowel control and again same thing in men and women then when you go to the bathroom and you sit They have to relax. They have to relax so you can go to the bathroom to empty your bladder. And they have to relax so that you can go and pass a bowel movement. They have to relax to give birth. They have to relax to have intercourse. So they're really important because they have a big role to play. So So when you say they have to relax in order to have intercourse, can I make the assumption that you're talking to men as well? It's a little different in men. And I know we're going to do a men's show down the line. Um, these muscles tighten when you are having an orgasm. And they need to tighten for men to maintain an erection. But then they have to relax after. Okay, so they have to let go after intercourse is done. Okay. 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 Yeah. And so for women, though, again, anatomical differences, we have to relax to allow something to go into the body, right? So if you think back of going for a pap test, 
and your legs are open, we often tighten up, right? Nobody likes to have a pap done. Um, those are the muscles that have to open and let go to allow a speculum to go in, to allow a tampon to go in, and to allow anything else to go in for, for, for sexual function. So they play a role in bladder function, bowel function, sexual function, and they have to relax to not have any pain. Does that, man, does that apply for rectal as well? Absolutely. So for rectal sex is specifically yeah, what I'm has, referring yeah, to. Absolutely. Everything has okay. to let go. And because sex is a lot of different things for a lot of different people, right? And there's a lot of different ways to have sex out there. And that's all normal. And it's everybody's choice. And yeah, all those muscles have to open and to let go to allow anything to come in and to allow anything to kind of come out. So in the, the first show we did, we talked about how the muscles need to be strong to close everything off so that you don't lose bladder control. They have to tighten so you can get to the bathroom on time. And they have to be strong to hold up your organs. So if you think about, and, and some women may experience this, women often say, MJ, I feel like something is falling down there, right? That's what we call a prolapse. So if you look and you see a bump, that's what we call a prolapse. It's not dangerous, but it can cause incontinence and it's uncomfortable. Um, and it's very common in women who have had children. And it's something that we can definitely fix by strengthening those muscles. And some women do need to have surgery and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but it is something that is fixable via pelvic health physiotherapy. So that's what a prolapse means. It's just a dropping of either your bladder, it could be your uterus, or it could be your rectum that kind of loses support so if I'm a teenager and I'm you know a couple years into having my period I've never had children and I feel that feeling of we I think we termed it bottoming out or that something's dropping what is that in a woman who hasn't had children okay so if we think back of the pelvic floor the other thing that the pelvic floor does is it protects Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind, that, that feeling of dropping in pressure, because it'll be important with what I'm, what I'm saying. If you think of that muscle, its job, yep, is to hold everything up, but that protection role is really key. So if you think about having an infection, let's say, let's say you have a bladder infection or a yeast infection, which is really uncomfortable, very painful. What those muscles are designed to do is in that moment, tightening up. And it makes sense, right? I mean, it's not when you have a urinary tract infection that you want to go and have sex, right? So it's almost like it shuts all the doors so no bacteria comes up, you're not going to have intercourse, give time for everything to heal. Now, what that muscle also does is it can tighten up under any other circumstances. So it can tighten up, let's say, if you have painful periods. So if you are someone who gets a lot of menstrual cramps every month, the days that you have a lot of pain, those muscles are going to tighten up as well. They can tighten up if your back is sore, if your hips are sore. Um, so they, can, they have that ability to tense up. When they're tight, it actually feels like heaviness and it feels like pressure. And women sometimes will come to see me and they're, they're convinced they have a prolapse. And if I do my exam, I'll say there's nothing dropping, but you have a lot of tension in those muscles. And that's what it feels like. So in the absence of having kids, in the absence of any other reason where we could suspect a prolapse, it's often tension in your pelvic floor, especially in, in teenagers and in kids. Thank you. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of times that feeling of pressure is really just tension in that muscle. So typically, if we talk about, okay, well, what causes that tension? I think that's one of the things we don't talk about is pelvic pain, right? The idea that you can have pain in that part of your body that's caused by a muscle. Because the assumption is always that if you're going to have pain, there's something wrong, you have an infection. So the typical things women will worry about is that, okay, do I have an STD? Do I have a yeast infection? Do I have a bladder infection? Do I have cancer, right? Everybody worries about cancer. Something down there goes wrong, we think it could be cancer as well. So what typically happens before women end up seeing me is they'll go to their doctors with whatever complaint they have. I hurt down there, it hurts to have sex, it's itching, it's burning. Um, they go to the doctors to get tested. And it's good that you get tested because I need to know that there is no infection, that there's nothing in there that could be a cause of your pain that could be medically treated, right? So if it's a UTI, it needs to be treated. If it's a yeast infection, that needs to be addressed. If it's an STD, that needs to be treated. But if somebody goes to the doctor and all of the tests are negative, but you still have pain in that area, pain with intercourse, pain if you have a bowel movement, uh, pain with sitting, maybe your big complaint is that you can't wear anything tight, like tight clothing. You may not like to wear jeans. You might prefer flowing skirts. You may not like to wear underwear because you can't tolerate anything kind of rubbing right on your, on your vulva. If that's the type of symptoms you have and you go to the doctors and all your tests are negative, chances are that's tension in your pelvic floor. I find this extremely interesting because, and, and this comes back to a point that you made earlier in the podcast, um, where in the first kind of episode we had you, we were going over definitions, how to identify pain. Um, and we don't, we don't have this in sex ed. We don't have this in basic anatomy for, for children to learn. And I don't believe that parents are offering this to kids. They don't teach their children. You know, we don't, we don't think to have a conversation to say, when you go pee, it shouldn't hurt. When you go poo, you shouldn't have to push and it shouldn't hurt. And so we grow up accepting pain. And you're talking about all of the different situations where we can experience it, where it doesn't need to be. And there's so, so many people living with it unnecessarily. And it can start really early. And, I, and when somebody comes in to talk to me and see me for the first time and I, I say, okay, well, well, if we go back how long you've had this pain, and they'll say, oh, it's been there for, for you know, since, I've, since I was a teenager. And I'll say, well, so tell me about that. And a lot of times it starts with your menstrual cycle as women. So if you start your cycle, let's say, as early as the age of 10 or 11, and you have pain every month for two, three, four, maybe five days, and that happens every month of every year, ongoing, that's a problem. Because again, those muscles are fantastic at protecting. And so that means that every month for a few days, they tighten as a protection because it hurts and we want to curl up in a ball and just kind of, you know, take our medication to kind of get through that pain. And we don't talk about pain with menstrual cycles with girls, nor do we offer them, I think, enough treatment options at that early age. I also find it interesting that I'll say popular sites or popular uh, magazines or places that write different kinds of articles will say that sex is good during your period to relax muscles. 
and maybe don't have this kind of an anatomical background to know that these muscles are in a state of protection. And if you don't know how to consciously relax them, how could sex possibly be a solution? Exactly. And to say, well, just have sex when you have your period because you're more relaxed is not a solution to the problem either, right? Because that means that they're having pain for three, more, three weeks out of every month and only getting maybe a break at their period, which, which doesn't happen for everyone. Some people can have pain for the four weeks, regardless of whether or not they have their, you know, uh, a cycle. So I, I find that most of my patients will definitely say to me, yeah, you know what, I've, I've had a history of pain with my period. And then when they have their first attempt at intercourse, that could be another trigger for pain. So women will often say, if I ask them, okay, well, when did this pain start? And they'll say from the first time I've, I've attempted intercourse. And I'll say, okay, so tell me about that. What was that like? You know, because a lot of times it doesn't mean that that sex was traumatic that first time, though that can be someone's reality. But some people say it was just awkward, you know, you know, first time, it's not always easy. Um, but if that first time was painful, and uncomfortable, your brain doesn't forget that. So then the second time that you go to have intercourse, your brain says, you know what, that hurt last time. We didn't like that very much. And so then you tighten up again. And you're not doing that purposely. It's just part of that protection mechanism. Your brain says, yeah, you know what, that wasn't fantastic. So let's tighten up a little bit because we didn't quite like that. And then we can see how easily we can get caught in that cycle of having intercourse, anticipating pain, tightening up, causing more pain. And then the brain says, see, hurt again. And then you go and you get caught in that cycle of pain. And that's a big, big problem. So women can have pain from the first time they have intercourse. And I find it interesting too. I have a lot of people that will say to me, I could never even wear a tampon, even before being sexually active. So I'll ask that question. I'll say, so tell me what it felt like if you tried to put a tampon in at, you know, say 12. And they say, oh, I can never do that. That was so painful. And there is actually a study that was done that looked at how can we predict who's going to develop pain or ongoing pain with intercourse in adult years. And it was often girls who had pain with, the, with use of tampons who also have maybe a history of having an anxiety disorder. So if you had an anxiety disorder and at the same time your attempts of using a tampon was painful, you are more likely to become an adult who will have pain with intercourse as well. MJ, we're both we're both leaning into the microphone. If I'm anybody knows, if anybody could see Karen and Kelly right now, well, that goes to that an anxiety disorder for some people listening to this for some women just means a disruptive home where there's just verbal abuse. There's all kinds of, and it doesn't mean it's directed towards them. It could be the couple, the mom and the dad, where. For some people that are listening to this today, they might think, oh, I don't think I have anxiety. But they do, and it's low-grade consistent. And it's such a way of life from childhood. It could even be into the cur a current situation that they're living in. That because it's the norm, that when you describe this right now, they might just take another sip of coffee, puff on a cigarette, and think it's normal life. And you're now saying that their norm, their normal life really isn't and that there's there's something else out there that could be there and so many women that are listening to you talking today about this I'm sure sitting down having a good cry mm -hmm. because when you finally hear it for the first time there there it's an it's an overwhelming emotional experience to hear you 
and, and anxiety is, is, is tricky because we can say, are you just someone who was born being more anxious? You know, there are some human beings who walk this earth more anxious than others. Is it a learnt behavior because something's happened to you? You're in a stressful situation, like you said, a home life. Have you had any trauma as a child? Is that why? Um, you know, so, so anxiety is tricky. And, and this is where I often will work along with psychologists and, and social workers because, again, you know, we have to recognize I'm not a psychologist nor a social worker. I can recognize that anxiety plays a role and that my patients who have a lot of anxiety do need to seek the proper help with the professionals that are trained in that. But we need to recognize that anxiety plays a role. And so, again, being in a state of stress, being anxious, winds us up, right? It creates a change in your body physically. And we know that. That's been studied. We know that people who walk this earth, having had a lot of bad experience or trauma and anxiety do tend to have more health issues, right? Overall. So would this also be able to pertain to somebody who as a child might be sitting in a classroom and grips the pelvis because the teacher's a screamer? It could be all is, of that. Is that also that type of thing so, too? Yeah. It, so I'll tell you another study that was done because it, it'll answer that question. Okay. So what the, there was a study that was done and they took women, they took two groups of women, women who don't have any pain with intercourse. And then they took a group of women who had pain with intercourse. And what they did is they did an EMG study. So they did um, sensors on the vulva. And what they did is they exposed women to a movie that had different scenes in it. Some of the scenes were scary. Just, just kind of scary scenes, suspenseful. Some of the ski- scenes were erotic, but safe, consensual, erotic scenes. Some of the scenes had violence towards women. So a little bit more of an uncomfortable scene to look at. And some of them were violent sexually towards women. And so what they wanted to do is they were looking at the state of the pelvic floor as women were being exposed to these images and to this movie. I can feel my pelvis gripping just yeah, as you're so saying you can kind of see. Mm-hmm. So what they noticed is that whenever women in both groups, the women who had pain and the women who didn't, when they were exposed to images that were stressful, suspenseful, scary, and violent against women, so seeing violence, their pelvic floor went into tension. Now, it was worse in the women who had pain with intercourse, less so in women who had no pain with intercourse, but they both, both groups had tension. Interestingly enough, the women who had pain with intercourse, even the erotic scene, the safe consensual scenes, they also had tension. Because I think when you've had bad experience with sex your whole life, it doesn't matter if it's safe and consensual, it's still a threat to have good healthy sex. It still can be threatening for some women. So what that study really showed is that the pelvic floor will tense up as a protection mechanism, even when we're seeing something, it's not happening to you, but you're seeing it on someone else. So if you're being yelled at by a teacher, if you're being threatened by anybody, your pelvic floor is going to go under tension, under a threat. However we want to define threats, a threat creates tension in your whole body. I mean, it's not just the pelvic floor, right? Your jaw, your shoulders, your bum, and your pelvic floor. It's that curling in, kind of tightening up in that fetal position is kind of where we go to when we have a threat. So if we think of anything that can be threatening, it can have an impact on your body. 
And for women who have pelvic pain to begin with, have had menstrual cramps their whole lives, had pain with a tampon use, have pain with intercourse, any threat to them creates even more tension. Add anxiety to that, add stress to that, add, you know, all of that. Financial stretch, stress, marital stress, work stress. Grieving. Grieving, depression. I mean, all of those things wrapped up in your body is tension. And when it's tension in that area of your body, it affects your sexuality, which is big, right? I mean, that's a huge thing. And also affects your bladder and bowel function. Because these are my women who will say, why does it hurt when I have a bowel movement? Well, because those muscles are supposed to relax when you have a bowel movement. Um, I know when you did the pelvic floor work on me, um, and you were able to show me physically by touch how far the muscles reach um, into the butt area and up the back. I was surprised, MJ, and how you worked down in my legs, um, down in the, in, like, all the way to the knee. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's listening to this and goes, what? Like, it goes all the way down to my knee, that the pain can radiate down the leg. That's right. Um, it, it radiated up my back. Um, and into my belly button. And I remember when you were working on some of the pelvic floor muscles, I said to you, oh, that's going right from my pubic bone right to my belly button. And you were explaining to me how those muscles reach out into the abdomen and reach out into the other parts of the body. So can I ask you that question after having shared that a little bit? Can you explain where it can radiate for, for women in the body? Yeah, I mean, everything's connected. I mean, that's the first thing we have to understand is that if we're if we have tension in one part of our body, it goes without saying that it's going to have an effect all over your body. When we're talking about the pelvic floor, because it goes from your pubic bone all the way back to your tailbone, it's attached to the front of your pelvis, it's attached to the back of your pelvis. The back of your pelvis is part of your spine. So again, if you've got tension pulling, you can have pain in the front, so it could be like your urethra, which is the opening where the blood, where the urine comes out. You can have pain around your vagina. You can have pain around the anal opening, which is around the rectum at the back. You can have tailbone pain. You can have pain that comes down basically to your knees, front and back, and all the way to your rib, your lower ribs, front and back. Okay, so that whole area, knees to ribs, front and back, and inside can be contributed by the pelvic floor and I do have a lot of patients who've come to see me from other physios or chiropractors and and who have complaints of a lot of low back pain and hip pain that doesn't seem to be resolving and a lot of times people say well why don't you go have a look to see if your pelvic floor is playing a role in that and oftentimes I'll see that those muscles are also very tense and it's like a chicken and egg do I know what started first I may not you know sometimes your back pain can lead to tension in your pelvic floor or maybe you had pelvic floor problems and that led to tension in your back, vice versa. So just because of where they attach, they attach to your whole pelvis. Well, your pelvis is part of your spine. Your hips, your sockets of your hips are part of your pelvis. So you can have tension in your pelvic floor and that can affect your hips. MG, can it go in and affect um, sciatica? Yeah, sciatica is a very broad term, right? For yes. pain down the back of your leg, right? Yes. So it's not a really a condition, but it's like a description of a symptom. And yes, there's a couple of muscles internally that when tense can kind of give you pain down the back of your leg. Absolutely. Um, so 
I always tell people I, I want to work on what's happening on the outside of your pelvis and also what's happening on the inside of your pelvis because it goes without saying that there's a lot of women who are not comfortable with the idea of having an exam done inside their body when they've had pain for a long time but it's not just the inside that tightens up if the inside tightens up I can guarantee you the outside of you is just as tense and that could be your inner thighs your lower belly your bum uh, and like I said, you know, from knees to rib cage, right? Because again, if you think back of having bad menstrual cramps, you tense up in a curl up in the ball, right? So everything that you, you're tensing up a lot of muscles when you do that. If you're anticipating pain with intercourse, you're going to be trying to close your knees. So your inner thighs are going to get tight and sore, right? And, and again, we can kind of feel that when we go for a pap exam and we're not able to let go and relax very well we want to kind of close our legs in. So a lot of muscles on the outside of your body can also tense up. Mm-hmm. This is good coaching. I have a pap on Thursday. There you go. And, but it's hard, right? It's really, those are not easy situations. Um, and they're quick and they're fast. And we don't often have time to take a breath even when we go for a pap. And that's really difficult. A lot of women will avoid going for paps for years because they're worried about the pain, which is not good because we need to have paps to screen for cancer. So is, um, is it good to ask you what you might suggest f- for a pap? Like, is that good? Is that, would yeah, that be a good, good question? Yeah. Okay. I have had some women who have n- really avoid a pap. And sometimes when they come in to see me, part of what we're doing is trying to kind of teach them some skills so they can go for a pap comfortably. And there's a couple of things you can ask your doctor. You, hey, tell them you have pain. I think that's the one thing that women don't do and I say you know take charge when you go in for your pap you need to tell your doctor that you have pain with intercourse that you have pain with a tampon and so that the doctor knows because sometimes the doctor is not aware that you have pain and then perhaps they can try to use a smaller speculum perhaps they can then give you a bit more time to prepare and give you a warning you know, and you can say that you you can go in and, and own it and say, listen, I need a couple of minutes before you put that speculum in to take a few deep breaths, to kind of allow my legs to relax in the stirrups. You know, tell me when you're getting ready to insert it. I want to take a nice deep breath in, so I'm relaxing. And can you use a smaller a smaller speculum? And can you move slowly? I mean, you can tell those things to your doctor. MJ, I bring to your sessions. If you've noticed, I bring my iPod, and I I listen to music. And you have let me play soft, soothing music, which helps me relax during my sessions with you. Mm-hmm. But that also then could might be something someone could listen to, that they might bring music that puts them into that place. And that in a doctor's office, especially because you have to wait, right? There's a bit more waiting time. So there's nothing that stops you from listening to quiet music that you love while you're waiting in the waiting room to prepare you for that pap test, to kind of calm everything down, learn to take some nice deep breaths, just to calm everything down, like that calms tension down. And so then even when you're in the room waiting for the doctor, because there's usually a few minutes to wait before the doctor even comes in, you can continue to listen to that music to help you relax again. But like I said, you need to tell the doctor. It's important for them to know. I'm really hoping... I take on medical students from the Northern Ontario School of Medicine and uh, they're third year students. When they come in, I really make that point. I'm like, you know, it's really important as a family doctor or a future family doctor that 
when you go to do a pap that you at least ask women if they have pain right because we need to, we need to talk about this right so and it's not easy to talk about and it takes time and, and we're often very busy and I know physicians are very busy and, and understandably so but to just have that moment to connect with their patients and say sometimes paps can be very uncomfortable and sometimes women come in and they have a little bit more pain are you someone who has pain with intercourse you know have you had that issue before let me know if you do what a better experience for women I think if the doctor would bring that up and I'm trying to make some of the doctors kind of realize listen please ask those questions right give women a moment to breathe before you put the speculum in give them a chance to rest and relax and unwind before you insert that speculum give them options of a speculum take your time don't rush make eye contact right reassure them so I think we need to change a little bit about how we do things but and again I, I teach my women to take ownership of that as well right to, to speak out and to talk to their doctors and to tell them that they have pain it's important we have to talk about it we can't change it if we don't talk about it so yeah so that's that's pap tests you know and how to prepare for that and again we don't talk about those things very much and women often will think that it's very normal it's normal to be uncomfortable in the sense that we're nervous but it's not normal to be in pain if you think if you're thinking that you're going to jump off that bed when that's that's not okay right that's telling me there's some tension going on in there oh i'm glad you said that there's a difference between being uncomfortable and being in pain that 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 can maybe pause some people right now to know that there is a difference and some people don't know it yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody enjoys having a pap done. So there is that uncomfortable, we just want it to be over and done with. But to be in such pain and agony from that, that is never okay. Just like I say to my women, it is never okay to have pain with intercourse. It's never okay to have pain with intercourse. Because those muscles are designed to stretch and accommodate all sorts of shapes and sizes, right? It is never okay to have pain, ever. And it doesn't matter if you've had a baby. And a lot of women come to see me after their, their babies are born. And there's a lot of assumption there that, oh, well, you just had a baby. So, of course, you're going to have pain with intercourse. But, again, that's not okay. There's a reason you have pain. But we can work on that. That is not normal. And I've had women who've had babies who've waited over two years before they finally come in and see me. Because it's almost like they think that, well, I just had a baby, so it's, it's, I have to tolerate having pain for a little while. I'm like, you know, there's no need to ever tolerate pain after you have a child. Um, so you wait the six weeks postpartum to heal. And then go in and see a pelvic health physio and say, you know what, it still hurts down there. And the doctor gave me the okay to have sex. And I'm thinking, there's no way that I want to have sex. And so if you're feeling that way, and if you've got a little bit of anxiety about the whole idea, then go see someone about that. Because again, the effects of giving birth, whether or not you had an episiotomy, which is a cut to give birth, or a C-section, yeah, a C-section, or even if you tore, sometimes those muscles as part of the healing process tense up, right? That's part of the healing. If you cut your arm, you're going to have some scar tissue. That's very normal, but scar doesn't move very well. It's very tight. Well, we scar down there as well. And if that scar isn't moving very well, if it's not gliding and sliding, then your muscles are not as flexible. And those are the muscles that have to let go to allow something to go in. So you're going to have some pain and some discomfort. 
But scar can get treated, it can get loosened up and can get stretched and it becomes more flexible with the treatments that we do when we can get rid of pain with intercourse. Right? I mean, so, yeah. This is so cool. Yeah. And, and like I said, we don't talk about these things. That's the problem. So I'm going to always make it personal because I think people can relate when it's, when it is for somebody. So I'm going to step out and be, and share that you are working with me. Um, I've had two cesareans. Mine are 26 and 20 year olds, 26 and 28 year old scars. Sorry, one of them sitting beside me. <laughs> She's not just a scar. <laughs> but those are two scars on my body for that for over almost three decades. And you are just now helping me um, still release the pelvic pain that I've had for three decades. And I want women my age to hear that, that at 55 years old, I decide I made the commitment. Remember, I walked in and I said to you, MJ, I am making a commitment to my pelvic health. I am booking appointments with you every two weeks. I don't even know why or what all of the issues are, but we will figure them out. And it wasn't that I was having pain in the moment. I knew I just needed to trust you to do assessments. You shocked the shit out of me (laughs) when you did the internal pelvic and went right up under the pubic bone and then pushed on the outside of my stomach, on the outside, and you took you went from the first uh, no pardon me the second uh, cesarean incision and you moved your palm towards my belly button and oh my god the pain that went through that whole part of my body and right from the urethra is that yep, is yeah, that right yeah. right all the way to my belly button when we think about a c-section Think about where that incision is, right above the pubic bone, side to side. Some women, it can go from the pubic bone up to the the belly button, especially in older women, right? Because back in the day, that's how they did the incision. Now they go side to side. But regardless, again, part of healing is scar, which is very normal, but we want it to move. And if it's restricted in any way, it can have an impact. And what happens in the belly area is from your belly button down above down towards your pubic bone above the pubic bone and down towards your vagina we have tissue called fascia fascia is we have it all over our body it's kind of like our support system holds everything kind of up and in place it supports the muscles it supports all of our organs that fascia can not move very well because of scar tissue and what we know is the the fascia that covers all of our muscles in our belly connects with your pelvic floor as well And when we do a C-section or a hysterectomy or any of abdominal surgeries, the process of having surgery creates some scar. And when that scar doesn't move well, that can contribute to tension. And we just have to move. And the good thing is that all of that can move. All of that can get released by stretching, by exercising, by doing deep breathing and doing some manual techniques. So some of the techniques I was doing with you, Karen, was really working on letting go of some of the tension that had stayed there now for, for quite a few years, like you said, for a few decades. I think if I'm hearing everything properly, I owe you an apology. Yeah. It's not anybody's fault. <laughs> I mean, blame, blame our children. But I mean, it is what it is. Well, sometimes oh, yeah. we need a C-section, right? There's nothing wrong with having a C-section. Um, sometimes we need to. But MJ, those two C-sections were failure to progress. 
And I think that's important. People have to hear this because they might go, whoa, they might be making their coffee right now and sit down and go, that's me. Mm-hmm. Failure to progress was me. Yeah. So how many women, because of my age, and this is what this was something that was done for the safety of the children, mm-hmm. that that the doctors at, at that time for a period of time, maybe a couple of decades or whatever, felt that it was in the best interest of the child and the mom, that if there was a failure to progress, you move towards a cesarean. And if you had already had one cesarean, which I had, then when I went in to have the second child, I tried. So I had 14 hours of labor and then failure to progress, followed by the second cesarean. But I had already was having so much pain from the first cesarean stitches. Mm. So we were told when we were birthing, when we were in labor, that if you start to feel a tear or a pull, tell us immediately Mm. and you're going to have a cesarean right away. So as soon as I started feeling the pull and the tear trying to deliver my son. And I said, Oh, I I can feel that. Now, how do I know what that really feels like? If that's just scar tissue moving? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to feel the pain of delivery and the pain of the tissue. And I'm brought straight in for the the second cesarean. Because that's what was just done with that belief that we're doing the best at this time. Yeah. And and things have changed. I mean, certainly nowadays, there's a lot of great options. So you, again, it's all about safety of the mom, safety of the baby. So C-sections can happen. I've had two myself and I don't regret having a C-section. There was, it was necessary. And, but the great thing nowadays is that just because you've had one C-section doesn't mean you necessarily have to have a second one anymore. Now it'll depend position of the baby and whatnot. Um, but yeah, nowadays they'll do a vaginal delivery after having had a C-section and some women do very, very well with that. So there's a lot of great options, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with having those surgeries. I think what we need to maybe do a better job of is saying to women, you've had a C-section and it's okay to go to physio and get the treatments and get that scar looked after, learn how to move it, learn to touch it, learn to stretch it and then exercise because it's all about exercise, to loosen it up and seek the treatments that you need for it so that you don't have to have abdominal pain that lasts for longer. And there are some women who, listen, there are women who have C-section who have never had any pain. But there are women who do. Mm -hmm. Just like there are women who can have vaginal deliveries and bounce back like nothing happened and other women don't. So if you feel pain that lasts for more than six to eight weeks... If you're having pain that's there all the time, that shouldn't be there, then go seek the help that you need. And MJ, I'd like to say too, that I can give you a list of all of the different medical, uh, and not, not picking on anybody. I'm just saying that there will be other people listening to this, and I know that because of age and just life, where I can say how many physios I went to, how many massage therapists I've seen, chiropractors, medical doctors, specialists. And the point of the show in having you here is that while all of those made a great attempt, and I do understand they do, and that they do the best they can with the training they've got, that there was a difference when I saw you in the therapy that was provided. And that did then in turn affect how I, when I now see all of those other people and do my yoga and all of those other things, that there is now a difference. And it's, 
not unusual or untypical that by the time a woman goes and sees a pelvic hip physio, that they've, they've gone through the gamut. They've seen many people, whether it's a urologist or a gynecologist or other physiotherapist. That's very typical, though it's improving because I think we're doing a better job of educating everybody on pelvic health. And so what we're trying to really do with all the education that we do is to inform everyone of what is not okay in terms of pain in that area. And if you're a doctor and you've done all your tests and due diligence and everything comes back normal, please consider then that it could be this muscle group that's contributing to their pain and send them to a pelvic health physiotherapist. The same goes with a physiotherapist or a chiropractor or massage therapist who's been treating someone with maybe low back pain, hip pain, or maybe even tailbone pain. Ask questions like, do you have pain with intercourse? Do you leak urine when you cough, sneeze, or laugh? Do you have pain with bowel movements? Because if you ask those questions and patients say, yeah, Ashley, I do, then again, those are all signs of, okay, well, maybe the pelvic floor is involved and you should go see someone in your area that can do an exam. So we're not letting women wait five, six, seven years before they're finally getting treatment. Because if you have pain for that long, that's not, that's not fantastic. That's, you know, quality of life stress that will cause anxiety Mm -hmm. or if you already have anxiety that's going to fuel more anxiety that might bring on depression if you've been in pain for that long and it's really hard for women because if you go from doctor to doctor and all you hear is you're okay there's nothing wrong you're okay there's nothing wrong all your tests are negative women start to think they're going crazy and oftentimes by the time they see me they're they're and some women have been told that it's in their head right? That it's, that they're making it up and they're not. It's because we're not looking at potentially that muscle and the role that it plays in pain. And so, cause that doesn't show up on a test. That doesn't show up on blood work. That doesn't show up on an x-ray. It doesn't show up on an MRI because it's muscle, right? Muscle is something you have to feel. Oh, you said something so beautiful. When you said it doesn't show up in all of those tests, MJ, that was so important. I'd gone through MRIs, CAT scans, x-rays. I'd been through everything. And because it doesn't show up, as you said earlier, I was told that I was it was all in my head. Mm-hmm. And I was told point blank that I was doing it to get attention. And boy, when you are in physical pain and someone disregards your physical pain and then turns around and accuses you of just trying to get attention, you feel destroyed emotionally. And then you really start shutting down because you don't even feel that you can open your mouth. You don't feel that if you're going to ever be heard again. And the pain that that inflicts on top of the physical pain is is compounded now. Instead of finding the right professional, you or another pelvic specialist, that is able to say your pain is real, mm-hmm. it's valid, it's here in a group of muscles, and this is how we get to address it. And one of the things I loved about what you did was you empowered me then to be able to learn to do it for myself. I, I, I didn't become dependent. Now, people are hearing I, t- I chose to see you over a period of time, yes, 
but you've also given me the tools to do it at home on my own. And I think that's a really good thing for people of all ages to hear is that you're not then tied in and if they're listening to the show and think, well, I don't have money to do that. There, there can be reasons why people think, well, I'm not going to go because I, I couldn't afford to keep going. You don't have to. Luckily, you teach your patients self-care. And that's really important. Again, because some people, like you said, can't afford to go see physio, and, and understandably so, it can get costly. But also because it's about taking control back if you felt like you've lost a lot of control, right, on, on your body and on your health. And to also teach resiliency, to become resilient again, and, um, and, and to get to connect with your body. I think a lot of women who've had pain for a long time have disconnected from that part of their body, right? They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Does that resonate? Yes. Yeah. And I was also going to say the disconnect that you end up feeling with your partner mm-hmm. or that you feel that you've created with your partner. And I know speaking personally that I've always had um, a fear around sex. Um, being growing up as a woman, you're taught guys want one thing. You need to protect yourself. You need to be smart about your body. Um, there's so much fear in the way that we speak about sex and the entire experience that we're not really taught to relax from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, growing up with anxiety, maybe growing up with certain um, activities that cause tension in the body just naturally, like sports, I never understood that I had to take care of those muscles. So fast forward down the road when I'm in a partnership and I don't want to have sex because my, I can feel my whole pelvis seizing from the outer hip right into, you know, the vulva spasming, um, lots of different sensations. And the partner doesn't understand why I'm not desiring them. And you have to sit down and be able to explain. It's not that I don't desire you. It's that my body is in so much pain. This is not desirable. It, 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 it's really challenging mm-hmm. when you want to please yep. and we compromise quite a bit, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, and, and, and that's a bit of a problem as well, um, that we kind of get caught into is, is, is not to cause friction in our relationships. So we tend to tolerate pain. Mm-hmm. And that's not okay as well. Right. And, and, the, and the good thing is, I mean, you can be in a relationship that's not healthy. Yep. Absolutely. But even in a healthy relationship, you know, sometimes you don't want to talk about those things or open up about those things. And a lot mm-hmm. of partners then also become very afraid of causing you pain. Right. And they also may pull back from having intercourse with you because they saw the reaction the last time. Mm-hmm. So even in a healthy relationship... Mm-hmm there is a bit of that push and pull that can kind of happen as well. It's, it's very challenging, right? Mm-hmm. And very difficult to talk about openly, even in a good relationship. Well, and this is something that I wanted to mention, because I don't know if I talked about it in the first one, but just recently I went in to see you with my partner um, so that he could understand the sensations that I have, um, with, you know, regardless of sex, just in a daily experience. Um, and you sat there and worked so hard to educate him about, you know, where where you were in terms of angles or positions in the body to know what caused tension or more stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also helping the two of us be able to go home and essentially do homework 
where he knows how to use the wand to help release muscles for me. And he now knows the language that you and I have developed together or that you've given me um, so that we can (coughs) communicate better. Yeah. And there's always homework to do. I mean, if you, if you have tension anywhere in your body and you go for physio, they're going to give you some exercises to do. They're going to give you some stretches to do. It is no different in this part of the body as well. It's a muscle. So if I want to help you relieve pain, you need to work at this on a daily basis. So there's stretches involved. And I really love to involve the partners because again, part of that is developing kind of a nurturing environment and safety with intercourse, if that's the the reason you're coming to see me, for them to understand that it's nothing they're doing, it's not their fault, and they're not causing you damage when you're having intercourse and it hurts, right? I think it's important. Men are really sometimes really stressed by the thought that they're causing you physical harm. And I'll say, you're not causing her damage, we're pretty resilient down there. I mean, we're designed to have babies, so things can stretch and whatnot. But yes, it hurts. Therefore, you'll, she might tense up. So a lot of the stretches that I'll give is maybe involving the partner to insert a finger in the vagina to help stretch those muscles internally. The wand that you were telling, uh, that you were talking about, is just a device that's been designed for the pelvic floor that can get inserted into the vagina to stretch those muscles. So either the partner can do it with their finger or uh, do it with the wand, or women can do it themselves. Okay, And those are only for my women that are comfortable with the idea of putting something in their body. And certainly there's a lot of women who come to see me that are not ready for that type of work. But we build towards that to allow them to get more comfortable with the idea that things can go in your body without causing pain. I remember a period of time, MJ, where you and I were working on when you you inserted, I don't know what the what the device was, but it was hooked up to a machine, and there was like um, what do you call that, like um. Like a stimulation? Or yeah. Okay. And I I would have to breathe and bring it down on the chart, yeah, like yeah. biofeedback. Biofeedback. That's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. So this would be vaginal biofeedback. It is. Yeah. We don't use... The, the device that I used with you was years ago, Ashley. And it's one way for women to see that there's tension in their pelvic floor, right? Sometimes you can see it. I, I wouldn't say that I use it maybe as much as I, as I used to because I find that even with just touching manually those muscles women can kind of sense where where they're holding tension and to let go but it's a great little tool sometimes just to show see how hard it is for you to let go I think the worst thing we can tell women is oh just relax right because again it's not like the worst word you know you go for your pap test just relax um if you get told you have pain you when you describe you have pain with intercourse and the doctor says well just relax right have a glass of wine and just relax well relaxing women don't know how to do that I mean how do you learn to relax something you can't see and a muscle you can't feel so when I'm touching that muscle and you say that's where my pain is and we validate that pain then women start to go you know what I can actually feel now what you're talking about when you're saying I'm tensing up. And then we have to teach women, okay, now that you recognize that you're feeling tension, how do we let go of that tension? Well, we can stretch it. We can do a lot of stretches, like we stretch our quads and we stretch our legs and our calves. We can stretch these muscles and we can relearn how to let go 
of that tension. If your brain learned to tense, you can unlearn that tension as well. And it can be a lot of work for some women and easy for others, but harder for other women as well. But whatever the brain learns, it can unlearn. That's really important. Um, I remember when I was doing the biofeedback, um, you'd leave me in the room by myself for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. I don't remember if you increased the times or what you did. Um, but I remember laying in there by myself, um, feeling the muscle spasms. Mm-hmm. and being able then to discern that that's a muscle, that's a spasm, and I would watch, or there'd be, I can't remember if there was a little beeps or there was something there was I had to beeps. pay attention to the beeps. And if I had anxious thoughts, beep, 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 and then if I started, if I started to daydream and I was enjoying my daydream, beep, beep, and, and then it was like, oh, that changed my muscle spasm. So I, I, this really was wonderful for me. Because for the first one of the first times, not only was I having an awareness of an internal muscle in my body, think about that. Mm -hmm. This is a deep muscle inside the body, who knows how that feels. But then on top of that, I was actually creating my own toolkit of thoughts And I had instant feedback to see which ones allowed a muscle to relax and the other thoughts that allowed or encouraged a muscle to tighten. Mm -hmm. And as much as that is a difficult experience, it was a good one because it empowered me. No, and it's great. I mean, and so biofeedback comes in different shapes and sizes. There's machine biofeedbacks, but our hands are biofeedback as well. And we can definitely teach women to recognize that there's tension down there. And if you recognize it, you can change it. If you sense it, you can change it, right? If you disconnect from your body and you don't pay attention to your body, you can't change your body. So you do have to pay attention. Now that's hard for women, right? Especially if you've had trauma. If you've had any trauma, and maybe that's the reason why you have pain, bad experiences in your in your life or currently undergoing some trauma that's hard to do because you do not want to feel your body you want to escape your body the problem is that if you escape your body you can't change anything right and so you know we haven't talked about trauma a whole lot yet but if we're going to open up that that concept trauma can be defined in, in many different ways uh, for many different people, but trauma could be anything. It could be absolutely sexual trauma, and, and some women have experienced that or are currently experiencing that. It could be psychological trauma, emotional trauma. It could be any traumatic experience that you've had in your lifetime, whether or not you've been in a car accident, or maybe you had a parent who had cancer or a parent who was very ill and you saw them go through that. That's traumatic for a child as well. If you um, were hospitalized yourself for any reason, and I'm going back to childhood here because there's a lot of work being done right now that is looking at what has what happens to people in their childhood can have an impact on their health later on in life. And there's a big study that was done called the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. And this was a massive study where they followed children who went through trauma as in their in their uh, young age and they followed them through adulthood and they wanted to see what happened to them 
physically as they got older. And the way they define trauma is like what I'm saying. It could be sexual trauma, emotional trauma, psychological trauma, medical trauma in the sense that something happened to you that made you go through the hospital. So maybe you've had cancer as a child or you've had major surgery, you've been in a car accident, but also seeing someone else go through trauma like a parent, a very close, close parent, and also being exposed to a parent that had... Um, suffered from alcoholism, drug abuse themselves. And um, I think they were talking a lot about too, um, not just substance abuse, but uh, gambling kind of problems, right? If a child had a parent who had those types of issues. So they followed those kids. And what they noticed in adulthood, these are the kids that ended up developing in the adult years, more diabetes, more heart problems, uh, you know, so more kind of inflammatory types of problems in that group was a lot higher than people who did not experience trauma. So when women come to see me and tell me they have a lot of pelvic pain, a lot of women do open up and talk about their childhood and they'll say, yep, I've, I've had trauma in my childhood years um, or I suspect I've had trauma, I'm not sure, or I was raised by maybe a parent that was violent, a parent that was emotionally abusive and whatnot. Trauma also has an an impact on our bodies. And I really do think that that's maybe a reason why some women also develop some pelvic pain issues. Not everyone, but some people. Um, and that's really important to recognize. So it's really important for those women who have had a trauma experience to recognize that that will have an impact on your body physically. It will, your body is going to tell you one way or another that you're not dealing with a problem or you've been through a trauma. And that's where we have to all work as a team with psychologists and social workers who are trained in trauma, who are trained in PTSD, to help our women deal with those emotional because it has an impact on the physical, right? The emotional has an impact on the physical. And a lot of great work being done in that field now, which is great. I actually just did a course on... Um, even birth trauma, women who've been traumatized by giving birth, which honestly, I kind of suspected was happening, but I didn't realize that it, it's probably more common than we realize. And it's not because they were in danger. It's just they didn't really feel like the birth experience was what they thought it should be. And so they come out of that experience being quite traumatized. You know, so it could be birth trauma for some women. And so that all of that has an impact on your body not just your pelvic floor, but maybe you end up with jaw problems and sore necks and sore backs because you're tensing. So, you know, so we can't forget that trauma also potentially could be a source of, of pelvic pain as well or plays a role in pelvic pain in that when you're seeking treatment, you got to look at the whole body and the whole person. So it's not just about the pelvic floor. That's part of the puzzle. But it's also your emotional well-being, your physical well-being and taking care of the whole person is really, really key. And that we all need to do a better job of, right? Because that's, that's really difficult. And I don't think we do that maybe as well as we should in the medical world. Is, is we could, There's a term for it. It's called the biopsychosocial approach. Bio because we're biological beings, but psychosocial because we're human and we have emotions and we have thoughts and we have anxieties and we have fears and we have beliefs sometimes that, you know, can cause a problem, right? And that could be problematic. And it's, we're all of that wrapped into this body and we all have to work as a team to help women 
kind of work their way through this pelvic pain that can be caused by all of those all of those situations so it can be complex but there's always hope you know women all say you know can you fix me I said well it's not me that's gonna I'm not gonna fix you but I'm gonna help you fix yourself by giving you those tools that you need to heal but it's not just about physio it's everybody working together to help women you know deal with whatever issues that they're having thank you you're welcome that's exactly why you're here um, we, we, as you know, as many of our listeners know, we refer so many of our clients to you, um, because of the trauma, because of the emotional issues that we see. Um, and you're, you're just a natural fit for the health team that we, we want to provide everyone in, in yeah. our community. Yeah. And like I said, we have to build teams, you know, every, when, when I teach, when our group teaches, that's part of what we tell people, you've got to find in your area who your social workers are, who your psychologists are. You've got to work with the gynecologist. You've got to work with the urologist because sometimes there's little medical bits and pieces that also need to be looked at. And if everybody can work together, the patients will get better. When Kelly and Andrew were children, probably around four and six, um, I told them they needed a team. And... Um, that I would help them find their team. So as, as very young people, very young humans, um, they were introduced to chiropractors, massage therapists, yoga, physios, everything I could think of, social work, um, therapy, um, everything I could think of MJ in every type of field, the dentist, the doctor, all of these people, friends, everything that comprises a, a team, because every human being deserves the team. And that you do need all of those those people in all the different areas, just as you said. You can't address one part of human separating the rest of it. It just doesn't work. No, we're not little bits and pieces, you know. So we can't just treat the little bits and pieces. But in the medical world, we often treat the bits and pieces. And we forget that the person in front of us is a human being who has thoughts and emotions and stress and that plays such a big role. And I think one of the, the resources I may suggest to the both of you and, and to the people that are listening is that there was a documentary that was done, and I think you can go online and download it, called A Connection. And what The Connection talks about is this whole idea that our, our thoughts, our beliefs, our worries, our fears, our stressors, and our threats has an impact on the human body in our health and what they did with that documentary is they've interviewed different doctors and these are physicians from all over and they have them talk about kind of that mind body connection in their perspective in their specialty so there's somebody who is a gynecologist who works fertility you know so there's a cardiologist so it's a really good uh, movie to I think really make the point that we cannot ignore the whole person when we're talking about pain, when we're talking about diabetes, when we're talking about heart health, um, that it's the whole person that we have to address. Speaking of ignoring the whole person, um, we're going to bring you back, hopefully, um, for a men's month because we need to talk about men. Yeah, we and talk, men need yeah. to talk about men. Yeah, and, and men get ignored when it comes to pelvic pain. So we talked a lot about women who have pelvic pain. Yes. And we talked about, you know, the, the main symptoms that women will often have when they have pelvic pain is pain with intercourse. You know, there's a lot of conditions out there that women will be diagnosed with that cause pain in that area. 
but the commonality is often pain with intercourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, men have pain as well, and I think men are often underserviced, and they certainly will not necessarily want to talk to anybody about mm-hmm. having pain down there, right? Well, if they don't want to talk to anybody, we're going to have you talk to them. Yeah, yeah, and it's important, and I really feel that's an area we, we need to definitely improve upon in terms of demystifying the idea that men also have a pelvic floor. Their pelvic floor is just as important as a women's pelvic floor. And that when they have pain, that it's real. As much as women who have pelvic pain, it's real. Um, and that they deserve the, the treatments as well, right? And and uh, and again, yeah, it'll be it'll be a we can talk a whole hour about men as and well. And I was gonna say too, MG, that they're not any less of a man because no. they have pain in the pelvic area, and that it's not unmanly to share it with another man, mm-hmm. to to discuss the pain, because quite often sharing it with another man helps the other person. So hopefully maybe we can have that whole podcast show. We're going to do, Kelly and I are doing a whole series in January on Men's Month, um, providing with all kinds of different professionals. And as Kelly has mentioned, you are one of our professionals to help them talk and begin discussions so that they can go into their doctors um, and physios and chiros and create a good, healthy conversation. And that it does have to begin with themselves. It, 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 and acknowledging it mm-hmm. um, and then being able to go out and share it with other people so that they can get that. And also, hopefully anybody listening, we want to have you back to discuss children's pelvic health. Yeah, and exactly. And that's another group of people because children are people and children have pain. And they're also, I think, a group that maybe we're not paying as much attention to, but we really should. Because again, if you think about when you start having your menstrual cycle as a young girl, you could be as young as nine nowadays. And if what you learn from a young age is pain and you can't talk about it, then that's a problem as well. So again, we, we need to do, I think, a better job in all aspects. And, and I think that, you know, if I was going to kind of make a few points, I'd say your pain is real always, 100% of the time. And it may seem crazy to you, but it's your pain and it is always real. You know, nobody wants to make up pain in their genitalia, right? Nobody, I mean, nobody fakes that. If you have pain and you tell me you have pain, I believe that you have pain. It is never okay to have pain with any of your bodily functions, where whether it's peeing, pooping, or having sex. Never okay. And... It's not something you should live with or tolerate or have a glass of wine and learn to relax. That's never okay as well. And that there's treatment available and there's groups of people out there that are trained to help you. And if your story is a trauma story, there's people there to help you. If it's just because you had a tough delivery, there's people out there for you as well. Um, You know, and then it's okay to talk about it and that you can feel safe and nurtured and comfortable Um, and it's finding the right person the right fit in terms of your physiotherapist or your team as well but it's never okay to have pain down there never and so seek the help talk about it ask the questions and you'd be surprised you know when you start to talk about it and you've got somebody who validates you how great you feel 
when you've got somebody who can listen to you and you want to have somebody that you can go see that will take the time to just listen to your story. And I, that's really important. And that's something I've had to learn over the years. I've had to, you know, cause physios, we're often, when somebody comes in, we're often the ones who are firing all the questions, but when somebody's had pain, it's important to step back and say, so tell me what your story is. What, why are you coming to see me? And tell me how you think this all began. What's your story? To be able to talk about your story, finally, to a person, after seeing X many doctors, X many health professionals, I think is so healing to people. And to have that moment to talk is more healing than we recognize it to be. And I think that, I hope with all of the training that we've done and all these physios now who do pelvic health that we're really teaching them well to learn to listen to people. Because I think that's what's lacking is people will say, I've never had a chance to talk about this. I've never had a chance to open up about this. I've never had anybody validate my pain. And I've never had anybody say that they believe me when I say that I have pain. And that's powerful. Thank you so much for coming again. And we, uh, we look forward to round three. Um, as always, we encourage everyone to submit questions or comments uh, or ideas for, for shows. Um, you can submit those to info at com, and we will talk to you next Saturday.